You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. All right, I want to just pray as we get into where we're going. I'm just thinking about that song and just worshiping to that. So go ahead and join me just in a word of prayer. God, I thank you. I thank you for the truth of what we get to sing in this place. God, I thank you that um, John says that, that um, we have been given the right to be called children of God, not, not because of anything that we have done, not because of our own righteousness or goodness, but, but God, because you are good, because you are righteous, um, and God, because you are faithful when we are faithless. And I praise you for that, God, and I pray that you would meet us in this place, God. I pray that we, we, would, we would not leave here the same as when we came in. And um, yeah, just work. It's in your name. Amen. Guys, we've got a lot to cover this morning. I'm not going to lie to you. We've got a lot to cover this morning. Um, we're, we're looking at Exodus, and, and uh, as you're turning there, we're going to look at Exodus chapters 1 and 2. We're starting a brand new sermon series. Um, what we do here at Anthem is we, we just kind of go through one book of the Bible at a time, typically, and uh, just verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and just see what God would have for us. Um, so as you're turning there, and, and I would say, too, if you don't have a Bible, all right, if it, now if you have a Bible at home and it's just collecting dust on your, on your uh, nightstand or on your bookshelf, don't take a, a free Bible. But if you don't have a Bible, we want to make sure that you have Bibles, okay? So we've, we've got Bibles that we just want to hand to you. We've got, we've got a little bit nicer Bibles. It's like 10 bucks or whatever. But we want, we want to get Bibles into the hands of people who don't have Bibles. So if you don't have a Bible, please don't be embarrassed by that. Just get one, okay? And we have them for you. So enough said on that. All right, again, my name is Luke, um, and I'm excited. Also, like Stan said, I'm excited that you guys are here. I'm excited to be back in the swing of things. Um, I'm the campus pastor uh, on staff with Anthem, and this past week, you might have seen us on campus passing out hot chocolate. We did realize um, that uh, people don't want to stop and talk to you when it's cold. Uh, we passed out lemonade at the beginning of the last semester, and people, when it's like they're hot and they see lemonade, it's like, oh, lemonade. But when people are cold and they see hot chocolate, they're like, got to get to class, you know? And it's like, okay, whatever. But, but we, um, we had a good time this past week talking to people on campus, those who would want to stop and brave the cold we got to talk to. And, and um, if you are college age, we would love to invite you to get connected with Salt Company. We actually started this past Thursday night. I think we have a, a picture up on the screen of, uh, of just the, the different people that got together. I think we had like 50-some People get together between 50 and 60. Numbers to me are just like whatever. Um, so we had, we had a number, a good number of people who got together Thursday night and just came together and worshiped and, and we're teaching through the book of John. So it's a lot of fun going through that with, with everybody. So if you are college age and if you'd like to know more about Salt Company and the conference that Stan talked about, that is going to be awesome. Okay, so you do not want to miss it. And we get a discount. One thing Stan, I don't know if, know if Stan knows this, but we get a discount because we have to drive to Iowa. So, so they're like, hey, we should give them more incentive to come back to the frozen tundras of Iowa. And so they're giving us like 25 bucks off. So if you want to know more about the conference, please talk to us. You will not want to miss that. All right. Um, with all that being said, we're going through the book of Exodus. All right. And, and we're starting this series and we've named this series um, Set Apart. Because as we look through the book of Exodus, 
It's clear there's a, there's a couple different themes, but one of the themes is that God is continuing to work. God is continuing to move. And, and we see the Exodus is an incredible story that fits into kind of this meta-narrative of God's redemption for all peoples. All right, and in order for us to, to look at Exodus correctly, we have to see it in a correct context, okay? So, so I want to start off with just by, by kind of filling in the blanks because the, the first word of Exodus in, in the Hebrew, in the original language, is and. All right, now, I was always told in English class, like I was a terrible student, but my English teacher always told me, don't start sentences with and, right? But, but that's what Moses does. He's, he's writing this, and he starts and, and what he's saying here is, is that Exodus is just a continuation of what we've already seen in Genesis. So what have we seen in Genesis? All right, if, 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 you're, if you're like me, I, there were a couple times growing up where, where I would, I'd be like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a Christian. I'm going to do this God thing full in. I'm going to read my Bible. And I would start at Genesis 1. And by the time I'd get to the genealogies, it was like, yeah, I'm done with this, right? But, but as you see in Genesis, God has an original plan. He, he creates everything, and it's, all of it's good. And we see that in the beginning of Genesis. And then he creates Adam and Eve. Right? And, and they have this relationship where they're, where they get to walk together in the cool of the day and they just know God. And, and one of the best verses in the Bible, it says that they were naked and without shame. It's like, how awesome would that be? Right? Like, I'm a married man. That sounds like, that's paradise, right? Um, and they, and they just knew God and they're in this relationship and, and God gives them a command. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And, and that, that command, it's a physical command. He's saying, fill the earth, but it has spiritual implications because what is Adam and Eve, as they fill the earth, what are they filling the earth with? They're filling the earth with image bearers of God because Adam and Eve are made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. It says male and female, he created them, right? And, and so as God is saying, fill the earth, multiply, he's saying, fill it with my glory, one thing we see in, in uh, ancient times is, is leaders and people like pharaohs, which we're going to talk about in, in Exodus, they would, they would fill their land with their images, like the sphinxes and all these different things, they, so that when people would come into their land, they would either see their coins and they would see uh, the imprint of, of Nero or whoever, whoever is on the coin, and they would see, oh, he's the leader. That's the one in charge. And so God is saying, my command to you is fill the earth with my goodness and my glory and my image. And yet we know not long into the story, sin enters the world, right? Eve and Adam and Eve, they're, they're duped by, by a talking serpent, which should have made them run away right at the beginning. But they're like, oh, let's see what the snake has to say. Like, it's like, no, don't listen to a snake, right? But, but Eve, she takes, she looks at the fruit and it's, she listens to the lies of the enemy and they think, yeah, God is holding back. He's, he's not really for us. He's holding back. And so she takes the fruit and she eats it and she gives it to her husband who was there with her. And they choose to follow their own ways instead of the ways of God. And so sin enters the world and this image is marred. And so it would appear as though God's plan to fill the earth with his glory and his likeness and his goodness is broken right from the beginning. And yet the story continues to move on. And, and as, as God is saying, all right, this is the way it's going to be now. And he's, he's kind of talking about the punishments and to, to Adam and then to Eve and to the serpent. And to Eve, in the very beginning, he says, but your, your descendants, right, your descendants, they're going to come against the serpent. 
And, and the, the serpent is going to strike their heel, his heel, and he is going to crush the serpent's head. And so in the very beginning, the serpent, it's, this, it's the epitome of evil and the enemy against God's people. And he says, all right, but I have a plan. My plan is not thwarted by you guys. Don't worry, right? I have a plan and it's going to continue. And we see, we see from that point, we go to not long after that, Cain kills Abel, right? Adam and Eve's kids, they're killing each other. Not long after that, in Genesis says, all of man's, all, every inclination of his heart was evil all the time. And so Noah comes on the scene, right? And God sets Noah apart. And he says, all right, I'm gonna, I, I have a plan. I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to wipe it clean. And then we see Noah. He goes in the ark, the salvation that God gives to him, the plan that God gives. He says, but my plan is going to continue. And as Noah and his family, as they come off the ark, after the floodwaters has, have gone down, they, they set up an altar and they sacrifice and they're worshiping because of the goodness of God. And God says, hey, Noah, I have a command for you. Guess what it is? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, right? God's plans aren't stopped by the sin of man. God continues and he says, all right, Noah, now the, the image is still marred, but, but this is still my plan. Fill the earth. Not long after that, though, just a chapter later, we see the Tower of Babel where, where Moses, Noah's descendants, they're like, yeah, we know God has a plan. We don't like it, though. So we don't want to fill the earth. That sounds hard. I don't really like to travel. Right? So, so they found a nice place to settle and they're like, let's build a big tower. Let's make a name for ourselves. This seems better. And God comes down and he's like, no. You don't know what's better. And he, he confused their language, and he created nations. And from that point on, it seems like God's plan is really derailed, because now the people can't even understand each other. They don't know what God's plan is for them. They're lost in the sin that has entered the world. The image of God is marred within man. But then Genesis 12 comes. And Genesis 12 is where we meet a man named Abram. And God calls Abram out of his land. He says, Abram, follow me to a land I'm going to show you. I mean, could you imagine if you, were, if you were Abram? It's like, I don't know who you are, and I don't know where you want me to go. But sure, yeah, why not? I'm adventurous. So let's go do this. And, and God says, leave all your people, leave everything that you've known, and follow me. And from that point on, God tells Abram, he says, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless those who bless you and those who curse you. I'm going to curse them. And, and all these things are going to happen. And, but there's a so, so that. God says, I'm going to bless you so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. See, the plan of God kind of changes, and it says, all right, now here's, here's the, we have all these nations, they don't understand each other, and all this stuff is broken, so I'm going to choose one man, one nation, I'm going to set him apart, and I'm going to bless him so that all the nations will know what it looks like to be blessed by me. And from there, we see this covenant continues, and, and Abram has, has, becomes Abraham, and Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac, the, the covenant is again said to Isaac, and he, God says, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to make you a nation, and, and even though the time frame, it's like, yeah, but I don't have any kids, Abraham is like, I don't have any kids, how are you going to do this? And God's like, chill, I got it, right? And, and so then, then he has a son, Isaac, and Isaac, God's like, I'm going to make your name great, and Isaac has sons, and he goes to, to Jacob, Right? And God's like, Jacob, I'm going to make your name great, just like I told your dad's. And then Jacob's name, I, I mean, this is a huge story in a nutshell, right? Jacob turns into uh, uh, Israel. His name is changed to Israel. And then Israel has sons, 12 sons, and one of those sons is Joseph. Right? And we know that Joseph, uh, he, has, he has this like technicolor dream coat. 
right? And they like to sing a lot. At least that's what Broadway tells us, right? And, and so, so then God gives all these promises to, to Joseph. I'm kidding. That's not really in the Bible, right? You guys, I know it's early. I think the coffee ran out, so maybe you didn't catch that. But uh, you see, Joseph, like, God gives all these promises to Joseph, and Joseph is kind of cocky, and he he's, like, tells all his brothers, he's like, yeah, you're all going to bow down to me. And they're like, yeah, we don't like that. So they, they take him, and, and they, they throw him into a well, and they're going to kill him, but they're like, yeah, we shouldn't kill him. He's our brother. So let's sell him into slavery. That's, that's more... That's better, right? So that they sell him into slavery to this band of Midianites who are going to where? Who knows? Bonus points, Egypt, right? They're going to Egypt, and, and they take his, his coat of many colors, and they dip it in blood, and they tell his dad, oh, yeah, Joseph's dead. Sorry. Sorry, dad. And, and yet the story follows Joseph into Egypt, and he goes to Potiphar, so he's sold into slavery to Potiphar. Who is, who is this kind of, kind of an up and coming guy in, in the courts of Pharaoh in Egypt? And Joseph learns all these different things and he's faithful. And yet he must have been a really good looking guy because Potiphar's wife was like, dang, I want, you know, like, I want to get with this guy, right? And, and like, she, he's, she must have been like just, in my mind, I have an overactive imagination, but it's like either she's just like bag of full of cats crazy or Joseph was just like really good looking because it comes down to this day where 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 he's in the house doing his duties and she grabs him by his cloak and is like sleep with me he's like ah, get off of me lady and like he wriggles out of his cloak and she's like a rape rape you know and so then he goes to prison like all these things happen the life of Joseph he goes to prison and it's one of the worst prisons because it's Pharaoh's prison and yet, because he gets sent to prison, he's faithful to God in light of all of these different things. He goes from being a prisoner to being number two in, in command of all of Egypt. Right? I mean, just the story of God's plan and his purposes being met out is just crazy. And that's where we get into Exodus. Because in Exodus and, and at the end of Genesis, we see the, there's a famine in the land. And yet God has given Joseph this, this plan and these dreams, and, and it actually serves to save all of Egypt from, from famine and from destruction. And, and not only does it save Egypt, but it saves the surrounding peoples. And not only does it save the surrounding peoples, but Joseph's own family comes to Egypt looking for grain. And God restores the relationship between Joseph and his brothers and Joseph and his fathers and, and, and Joseph's brothers I mean, understandably, they're freaking out because they think now Joseph is going to kill him. He's like, no, chill. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. In light of all of this, God's plans weren't derailed by what you did. God's plans weren't derailed by the sin of Adam and Eve. God's plans weren't derailed by by the people trying to build the Tower of Babel. God's plans weren't derailed by by Joseph's brothers throwing him in, in in the well. They weren't derailed by Potiphar's wife. They weren't derailed by being in prison. God's plans continued forward. And that's what we see here is that Israel, Joseph's dad, came to Egypt. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 1, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Now, Jacob being Israel. Each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. All right, did you catch that? All of Joseph's family comes into Egypt. 
the way that we talked about, all the, that's the context in which, which this story of God continues. The plans of God continue. And it says there were 70 in all. Now that's hardly a nation. Right? When God tells Abram, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to make you a nation, your descendants will be as many as the sand in the surf. 70 people, I mean, that's a big family, not quite a nation. But when they come in, it says that they, they increase greatly and they began to multiply. Right? God is continuing to be faithful to his people and the promises of God are being met. Verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. All right, let's just stop there, okay? I think it's so interesting. There's a few things I want to point out. I think it's so interesting that Pharaoh... All right, he comes on the scene and he's like, all right, all right this has got to stop, right? Like, they're, they're getting too many. There's too many of them. They're, be, they're becoming too mighty. What happens if a, if a neighboring army comes in? They fight against us and all this, these Israelites join them and fight against us. We're going to have this problem on the inside. See, Pharaoh, I think it's interesting that as Moses is writing this and he's recording this, he doesn't even tell us the name of Pharaoh. Now, I'll tell you why that's interesting, because here we have the most powerful man in Egypt, arguably the most powerful nation on the earth in this time period, right? This man named, named with this title of Pharaoh, he was, he was viewed as a god, right? He was, he was understood to be god. The, the people of Egypt worshiped Pharaoh as the son of Ra. Ra was one of the, the he was like the pinnacle of the gods of Egypt, and so we have this man who isn't even named, right? The commentaries I read suggested a couple different pharaohs, but the idea here was Moses saying, look, who Pharaoh was really isn't important. What's important here is who God is and what he was doing. Because there are going to be people who come against God over and over and over again, and yet the plans of God keep going. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it incredible that as it says, they're multiplying, Pharaoh's like, no, we need to stop this multiplication. And so he comes up with this plan. This man who would make himself God comes against the plans of God. And he says, yeah, we need to stop this. Let's oppress them. And they, they put them into slavery and they start having them build these cities for them in, in honor of their gods. Right? And they, they begin to oppress them. But it says the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. Like, Pharaoh, this unnamed man who's saying, I'm a God, look at me, is saying, no, I'm going to stop. It's almost like if I were to, like when my kids, we, we went to and played in the ocean. I think I told this story one time. We played in the ocean, and they were like, hey, we, we can do this thing and make the waves come in. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't, that's, that doesn't work, right? You, you, can't, you can't like, you know, I was, I was having fun with them. They were like jumping, and they thought, oh, Watch what we do when this happens. The waves come. I was like, no, that's not how you make waves come in. You make waves come in by doing this. And it just so happened when, you know, parents, we have fun with our kids sometimes, and it looks like lying, but it really isn't. And, um, you know, like, like, it just so happened when I did that, this huge wave came in, and they're like, no way, and, you know, and they're out there doing jazz hands. And it's almost like Pharaoh's like, all right, I'm going to stop this work of God, right? And Moses is basically saying, no, you're not. You can't. 
The plans of God will not be stopped by the sin of man. The plans of God will not be stopped by by the the wickedness of whatever administration you're under. God will continue moving forward. And it says, not only did they they kind of just, all right, they put him into forced labor, but in verse, verse 13 it says, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field and in all the work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Moses, as he's recording this, he uses these different terms, and, and he, he keeps reiterating the fact that, that it goes from bad to worse. That word ruthless, it, was, it, was, it can be literally translated as being broken down. And we know the time period of this slavery is 400 years. 400 years, they're slaves. 400 years, they're being ruthlessly treated, broken down as a people. Every time I say 400 years, I'm, I'm just amazed at the fact that we have been a nation for a little over 250, almost 260 years. America has been a nation for that long. Can you, and and we have cultural identity, right? We have national pride. We have all these different things because of the nation, because of what we've experienced as a nation. Can you imagine what the, the national identity of this people group would have been? 400 years in slavery, 400 years being broken down, 400 years of these, these pharaohs who claim to be God oppressing ruthlessly God's people. And, and the question would have to be, why? Why all this stuff? Where is God? And yet we see as Moses is looking back and he's recording these things, God was at work. Even though things went from bad to worse, God's promises and his plans continued. And it says they, they continued to multiply. And in verse 22 or excuse me, verse 15 says, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on their birth stools, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous. <laughs> that word vigorous, like, I don't know. My, my mind, I have some pretty wacky images of a woman giving childbirth vigorously. You know, they, they, said, they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, like the baby just popped out, right? So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Let's stop there. See, things continue to go from bad to worse. This, this, this wicked king who claims to be God, right? is oppressing the people of God, and, and slavery didn't work because God's plans still continue. Slavery didn't work, so he's saying, all right, let's try a new tactic, death and murder, because that's what this is, right? So he calls these midwives in, and there's just two of them, and, and it's understood that these midwives were most likely overseers of all the midwives, and the, the king, the pharaoh, said, all right, this is what you're going to do. And it's interesting that, that he, he targets the male children. Why didn't they just do all babies? I believe that one of the reasons for that is, is because they were afraid that the, Egypt, the, the Israelites would ra- raise up and be a military force. Well, if you don't have any little boys, you have no little boys that can become men who can become warriors. And so they targeted the young men in their culture. 
They targeted the young men. And, and, and yet, in light of all of this, it says that Shipra and Pua feared God. What does that look like? I mean, the, here's this man who, who claims to be God. He's worshipped. I mean, we have people who are worshipped in, in our culture, but not like it's not because the, it's like he's an actual God. It's because like they play guitar good or something like that. It's like this guy was worshipped. He could have had them killed. No problem whatsoever. I mean, the fear of this man should have been a very real, real thing in their lives. And yet it says they feared God. What does it look like for us? To walk in, in the fear of God instead of the fear of man. What does it look like when culture says one thing and God says another for us to say, look, yeah, this is, this is a bad deal, but, but I know this is what everybody else is saying, but this is what I see that God is saying, so I'm going to go this route. What does it look like for us to walk in faith? I think, that, I think it takes many different forms for us to, to walk in the fear of God instead of the fear of man. I remember one time... Um, I was, I, was in, I was in Fairway, and I was walking. I've told this story before, but I was, I was walking. When I go to the grocery store, I go, and it's like, I've got one thing, and I get that one thing, and I leave. Like, that's, that's it. That's the way my mind works. And, and so I was going in to get hamburger, and it's like, all right, I'm going to get hamburger, 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 hamburger. Like, no, don't look at anybody else. I got blinders on. And, and I go, and I'm walking down this aisle, and there's this guy here, and God is saying, hey, I want you to pray with this guy. And I'm like, no, nope, I'm here to get hamburger, right? So, so I walk past this guy, and God's just saying, I need you to, I want you to pray with this guy. I want you to talk to this guy. And I'm, I'm saying, no, God, you don't understand. I got to make spaghetti, and that's why I'm here. Like, I'm not here to pray with anybody. And I get to the end of the aisle, and it's just so heavy on my heart. And I turn around, and I see this guy, and he's just standing. He's an older guy. And, and I walk back up to him. I was like, oh, you know, like one of those things. And I walk back to the guy. I'm like, hey, this may sound really crazy, but I feel like God wants me to pray for you, with you. Does that sound crazy? He's like, no, it actually doesn't. I'm like, really? It sounds crazy to me, you know? And, and I was like, really? Well, what's going on? He said, I just got out of the hospital. I've been in there for a couple weeks. My heart, they don't know. It's beating irregularly. They have no idea why. And they just released me. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Can I pray for you? He's like, yeah. So I prayed for him. I have no idea what happened to that, to that guy. That was the last time I saw him. But you know what that did for me, for my faith? Regardless of what it did for that guy, because I don't know what it did for that guy. I hope, I, I mean, maybe God used that to, to heal him. I have no idea. Maybe that guy just needed to know that he wasn't alone in all of his, in all of his confusion and all the stuff with the doctors. Maybe he just needed to know that. But you know what it did for me when I actually started, like when I gave in and when I actually walked in fear of God instead of the fear of what this guy might think of me? Oh man, God worked in my life and he increased my faith and that one little step of obedience to say, hey, I feel like God wants me to pray for you. It just, it, it continued to grow more faith within me and I wanted to do more of that and I wanted to, I wanted to be used more by God. And yet what happens so often is we walk in fear of man instead of fear of God. We walk in fear of man instead of faith that God is restoring all peoples to himself and we, it's almost like we, we put ourselves outside of being used by God because of that fear. And yet, just like with Shipra and Pua, which is such weird names, right? But just like with them, God works when we walk in fear of God instead of fear of man. It says they, they got families and, and all these different things started happening. And yet things continue to get from, go from worse to horrific. 
Verse 22, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. It goes from this kind of like secretive thing, the secretive plan where he talks to the, the midwives to this general, like this is what's going to happen. And in chapter two, it says, now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. So what she's doing is she's taking a basket and she's making it waterproof. She's making it into a little boat, okay? Verse four, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Now let's just stop there. Can, I, I think there are times where, you know, whether or not you've seen like the cartoon, right? The Prince of Egypt, or we read through this passage and we just read through it and we forget that this is actually, these are actually people walking through this story of humanity, walking through this meta narrative of God at work, but there's still people with feelings and emotions and, and, and trials and, and fears and all these different things. And, and what we see is Moses' mother, she, she gives birth, and, and there's this edict from Pharaoh that says, if you have a son, you must kill him. And they know, she knows. Like in, in Hebrews, it talks about how um, by faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that by faith, when, when Moses' parents saw that he was a boy, they, they hid him, right? By faith, they, they said, we know that this is going to cost us. It could cost us physically. It will definitely cost us emotionally. But we cannot do what we know is wrong. We have to follow what God has told us because his plans, his promises continue to move forward, right? We see that throughout the meta-narrative of Scripture, of God's redeeming history, and yet we see that, that as, when they couldn't hide him, I mean, if you have kids, I can't imagine they hid him for three months, right? That, I can remember our kids, it's like, I couldn't sleep with our daughter. I couldn't sleep for a year, <laughs> let alone like three months. They hid him for three months, and then when they couldn't hide him any longer, she put him in the river. The edict of Pharaoh was met, but it wasn't in the way that he saw it, right? It wasn't in the way he, he thought it would happen. And, and it's almost like there's this moment in the story where you have to almost hold your breath. Like, oh, I mean, think about, think about the fear of this mother, this new mother. There's something about a firstborn, right? You don't want to drop them. You don't want to drop any kids. But after it's your firstborn, it's kind of like, you know, you still don't want to drop babies. But yeah, so, so I mean... A first-time mom placing her baby in this basket, in this little boat, just praying and hoping that God's going to do something. And then, and then it goes out into the river. And then who should find it but a member of Pharaoh's own family? A member of the family of this guy who said that your baby should die 
She comes down, and I can just imagine as, 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 as uh, Moses' sisters watching the scene play out, just being like, oh, no, 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 not her, not anybody but her. And she, they remove the cover, and they see immediately that it is a, a child of the Israelites. And what they should do with that child is throw him in the river that they just got him from. But what happens is they have compassion on this child. What I want you to see here is that God's plans are continuing to move in the most unlikely way. Even though, even though everything around them is falling apart, even though there's so much fear and all the, even though there's so many things, God's people, they're walking in the fear of God instead of the fear of man, and God's promises still continue forward. And, and she takes him in, and it's just so crazy how this works out because, because then Moses' sister runs down and is like, hey, I know somebody who can feed him for you if you, if, I mean, if you want. Like, I don't want to impose anything. And she's like, yeah, that's a great idea. So she goes and gets Moses' mom. She comes and she's like, I, I mean, I guess, I guess I could take care of this baby for you. And she's like, okay, great. I'll pay you for it. Like, what? Right? God's plans are outrageous. And she takes him, and during the most formative years of Moses' life, she's instilling just uh, what it means to be an Israelite and what it means to be Hebrew and all these different things. And then, and then she gives him back, and it says in verse, verse 10, when the child grew older, we don't know how old, but when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because he said, she said, I drew him out of the water. God's plans continue forward, right? Let's keep reading. I, we're going to land the plane quick, so buckle up, all right? It's coming, all right? Verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his people. All right, so let's stop there. All right, Moses has grown up in Pharaoh's household. Just think about how crazy that is. Pharaoh, who said that he should have been killed, is spending resources to educate Moses. He's, he's spending resources so that, so that Moses would, would be in a position to be where he is right now. Right? And it says that he saw, and this idea of seeing, it's not just like, oh, I see you there. No, it's like, oh, I see that, and I'm moved, and something needs to be done. Like, oh, he, he, takes, he takes on the almost identity of this slave being beaten. He's like, oh, that's, that's my people. That, something should be done. Again, in Hebrews eleven twenty three, 23, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. And then it goes on and, um, sorry, I'm trying to figure out where I'm at in my notes. But then it goes on and it says, um, Moses, although he was an Israelite, by faith, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. It says that, that he went out and he saw and this is what happened. He saw, and he says in verse 12, he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. It's, that struggling was the same word. They're, they're like, one is beating the other, right? They're struggling together, and he said, the man, he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? 
But Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. What we see here is Moses is seeing what needs to happen. He's saying something has to happen. This has been going on for way too long. Something needs to happen. And Hebrews says, by faith, he went and identified himself with the Israelites. Now, let me say one thing very clearly. I don't think it was in God's plan. Now, (laughs) that's a deep theological statement, I understand. All right, God is sovereign. His plans and his purposes are continuing. But I don't think it was right for Moses to kill the Egyptian. Because we see that. His response, it says that he looked this way and that. And I believe that as, as Todd and Stan and I were talking in our teacher's meeting, it seems like it was done out of a pure heart. But, but do you guys know there are times where, where we experience God, and Todd was kind of saying this, and I was like, oh, I totally get that. There's times where we experience God, and it's like, I just need to do something. So you, you like, I don't know, you do something crazy. Like Stan was talking about how he went home and told all his family members they were going to hell. It's like, that might have not been the, the best thing to do, like right after becoming a Christian. But some of those steps that we take early on, it's like, oh, that's okay, good heart. Let's, let's temper some of that. You know, let's maybe not temper, but just direct it in, in the right way. See, Moses, it's by faith that he's saying, I'm not going to be derailed by the pleasures of Egypt, by the fleeting pleasures of sin. But see, this isn't what God had planned for him. Because after this, Pharaoh's trying to kill him. He runs, and he goes into the, to the wilderness. And, and we're not going to read all that. It's, he gets a wife out there. He spends like 40 years in the wilderness growing and, and being humbled. And then Stan's going to talk about next week. He's going to pick up that, that narrative of, of where Moses is. But I want to I land the plane here in verse 23. Because all of this is happening. All of this is going on. Moses flees, and, and he's, he's identifying with Israel. All of this is happening, right? Things are going from, from good to bad to horrific. In verse 23, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel And God knew. And that's how the chapter ends. Isn't that so good? Like, it just ends, and God knew, dot, dot, dot. See, I love, I love as we look at God's response to all the things that are happening. Because as as we remember the context that this is in, that God's God's promises and his plans were not derailed by anything that we talked about beforehand. And and as as his people are groaning and as they're crying out, there there are a few things that it says about God. It says that he he heard their groaning, he heard their cries, he remembered the promises that he had given to them. He he saw his people and God knew. All of these different things that he, he remembered, he saw, he knew. Now, it's not like he remembered like, like I remember things because I forget things so quickly. I, 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 you can pray for my wife because it's like, man, if my brain keeps deteriorating at the point that it's deteriorating, like just in a few years, she's going to have a handful. So you can be, be praying for her, right? But it's, that's not the way it's talking about with, with God, It's talking about his faithfulness, his faithfulness to his promises and his plans, and those things will be met out. As it says that he sees and he knows that that word know, it's an intimate, like he is with the people in their heartache. He is with them in their pain. He is with them. He sees. He knows. 
It reminds me so much of, uh, you know, my, my daughter, she's been through a lot of health issues, and we've, we've had, you know, a lot of stuff that's happened over the past 11 years, 10 years through her life. And I, one of the things that sticks out to me through that is, is during one of her surgeries, she had to go, you know, be put under. And, and I, remember, um, I remember as they were putting the mask on her face, and she was quite a bit younger, as they were putting the mask on her face, they tried to, they tried to make it smell good with these different things, and they tried to you know, do all these different things. <sighs> but I can remember my daughter, as she was laying there, and they were putting the mask over her face. She just kept looking at me. She kept crying. And it was... And I just I kept thinking, man, I want to be able to explain to you why you're going through the things you're going through, but I can't. I can't explain to you what you're experiencing. I wish, I wish so badly that you didn't have to experience these things. But babe, I'm here. I'm with you. I know, I know what's happening. I know I see. Guys, what I want us to understand is that God's plans and his purposes and his promises, they're continuing to be met out even today. Moses saw, and he says something should be done. And he went and he tried to, he tried to do what he thought, and yet God was saying, Moses, I know. I see. I'm here. Trust me. I have a plan. You see, I love as we go through this, guys, as we need to deliver in the same way that the Israelites needed to be delivered. And yet God's plan, Moses' plan was when he saw one of his people being beaten, his plan was to kill the Egyptian that was doing it. God's plan was to take the place of the slave being beaten and to take our punishment so that we could be free. That was God's plans for us. And this morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're experiencing. But I want, what I want you to understand, if you're in one of those positions and you don't know God, what I want you to see is that he is here with us in the midst of whatever you're going through. We don't have to walk in fear. Guys, as we end this time together, what I want to, what I want to ask you is what would it look like for you to walk in the knowledge that God knows and he sees and he hears and he remembers and he is faithful? What does it look like for you to walk like Pua and Shapura, where, where they didn't fear man, but they feared God. What would it look like for you, in the same as with, with Moses' parents, to say, I know that this will cost me something, but it's worth it, and I will walk in that because it is so much better than the alternative. What does it look like for us to walk like Moses, where we say, all right, I know that sin looks so good for a moment, but I'm going to walk in the knowledge of who God is because God is with us, and he's here, and he's faithful. God, as we look at Facebook and, and, and social media, there is so much fear today. There, there are so many things that people are afraid of. But what I want to ask, man, what would, it, what would it look like for you to walk in the fear of God instead of the fear of man? What would it look like for us to walk expressing love instead of the fear of administrations and, and future and politics and, and all these different things? I believe that if we walked in that way, God's going to do some amazing things through his church. But will you choose to walk in knowledge that God's plans 
are being met, even if we can't see them. Will you choose to walk in light of that? Let's pray. God, I praise you. I know that we went through a lot of stuff this morning. And there's so much more that could be said. But God, I praise you that even now your promises are true. God, even now, God, when there is this fear and where there's so much stuff that we can choose to be afraid of, God, I praise you that you are faithful. That you are faithful to your people. God, that you are faithful to to your promises. God, that even when it looks like things are bad, you are present. And God, I pray that just like the people in this narrative and and just like Moses that we're going to learn more about through this whole series, God, I praise you that we can walk in light of of the, the fear of you instead of the fear of man. And when we do that, you work. You do amazing things. God, help us to be a people who walk in faith, in fear of you and not fear of man. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen.